0: But thank you again for coming. Um, We're going to get right into the word this morning. If you don't mind opening up your Bibles with me to 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1. And I'm going to really encourage you to get into the book of 1 Peter because it is really, really powerful, life changing. Gives great directives for this life. We're going to read verse 8. It says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And I'd like you to drop a few verses down to verse 13. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. So he's in the same chapter, in the same thought, in the same theme. He says, since this is the state of your heart, therefore, preparing your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Let's pray. Father, today, I just want to thank you so much for teaching us how to prepare our minds so that we will be able to exchange evil passions with godly passions. <coughs> numbness of heart with a vibrant first love for you. That we will be able to exchange emotions and feelings of anger with feelings of compassion and love. Teach us today, Father, how to discipline our emotions. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the greatest problems we have in marriages today is that there comes a time where a couple will just say, well, you know what, we don't know how this happened, but we just kind of fell out of love. And what do they do when a couple comes to the point where they're basically saying that we've just lost that love and feeling? That feeling is gone. How do they command their hearts to love again? Somebody might say, well, no, I can... My heart can love again. My heart just can't love them again. (laughs) I can love again, but that person there is the problem. They're the one that cannot be loved. My question is, how do we discipline our emotions and how do we command our hearts to love another problem we find in families is when the child grows up and he starts saying things like I just don't feel like it son go clean your room I don't feel like it Johnny do your homework I don't feel like it Johnny respect your mother obey your mother I don't feel like it what does the parent do What is the parent to do? Is the parent supposed to just command that child's emotion? Well, you better start liking it. You better start feeling like it real quick. Do you just command them, threaten them? How do you command an emotion? You and I have experienced the same problem of having to force our feelings into an opposite direction that they desire to go. The feelings want to go this way, and you have to force your feelings to go the opposite direction. For instance, how many times have you, been, have you been told to be grateful? And then gratitude was the last thing in your mind and the last thing in your heart. But you told, commanded to be grateful. See, we have generally lost the art of choosing emotions. And You might say, well, Jacques, I do not believe that you can command an emotion. Now, I agree that we have never been taught and trained on how to command an emotion, yet the Scriptures, the Bible, consistently commands you to feel a certain way. The scriptures are commanding us and commanding our emotions. So, how are we going to reconcile this problem of our inability to command our own emotion? <clears throat> you see, the scriptures are full of it, full of these full of these commands. For instance, here's a short list I came up with emotions the Bible tells you not to have. It says, do not hate. That's an emotion. Says, do not fear. Well, that's an emotion. Do not be anxious. Do not be envious. Do not be jealous. Have no evil passions. Instead, the Bible commands us to rejoice always. Like, okay, all right, so I'm not allowed to hate. I shouldn't. Don't feel this way. Feel that way. Rejoice, okay. And do it always, okay. How do I command an emotion? Imagine this. I say to Glenn, Glenn, Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. After the service, Glenn, there's, there's a young guy over there. He's rejoicing over something. I want you to please go over there and rejoice with him, okay? And then when you're done there, I want you to go over to this young guy over here. He's weeping. I want you to go and weep with him after that. And then when you're done with these two guys, I want you to walk out there. I want you to love those enemies of yours that you have such contempt for. On top of it, make sure to be grateful, be thankful, and then remain hopeful in all things, okay? I mean, there's just like, I feel like, reading through all of that, your emotions are just like punched away at. Don't feel this way. Don't feel. Feel that way. But I thought I couldn't command my emotions. You see, our problems, we generally do not control our emotions, but are controlled by them. And this is why I would like for you and I today to draw out of Scripture the relationship between mind and heart. There's a certain relationship that exists between what goes on up here in your thought life, and it's connected to what sparks off inside of your emotions. Now, your conscience is part of your heart. The Bible said that David's heart smote him, referring to his conscience. But the Bible also refers often to an emotional feeling as part of the heart. And today we want to look at the connection between mind and heart. We want to see how the mind serves the heart. How does your mind assist your heart in obeying emotional commands we find in Scriptures? So let's go back to our verse, 1 Peter 1, verse 8. The Bible says, Peter speaking, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Here Peter is pointing out the Christian heart, and he says to you, you have not seen Jesus. There are many of those who saw Him and loved Him, but you, you never even saw him. Yet your heart loves him. It's an amazing thing, Peter says. He says, And then, <clears throat> though you do not now see him, you believe. Huh. You believe. Your heart doesn't just love the one you haven't seen. Your heart believes in the one you believe you will see. And then he says, Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice. You have an emotion. You rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That is the Christian heart. So here Peter is describing it and its emotions. Peter is talking about Christians like you and I and how these emotions are real even though we have had no personal encounter with a physical Jesus. So the conclusion here is, There are Christians, or these are Christian hearts, and the identification of it is it's a loving heart, it's a believing heart filled with joy inexpressible. Then this jump down. He's in the same vein in verse 13. He says, therefore, because this is true, therefore. In other words, make sure to guard what you've got, because how many of you remember in Revelation, there's that church that got rebuked because they lost their first love. Their hearts drifted, their hearts became cold, their hearts were hardened. And here Paul is saying, Therefore, your heart loves Him, believes in Him, and you're already filled with joy, inexpressible joy. Now, therefore, preparing your minds for action. All right, we're going somewhere with this, so please follow. Preparing your mind for action. Preparing my thoughts for action. The word preparing, preparing there, is means to get ready. I'm preparing to leave the house. A lady who's nine months pregnant, she's preparing the house for what is to come. We are believing in Him whom we believe we will see. We're preparing. This life has one purpose and that is to prepare for the life you're after. That is the ultimate purpose of the life we have and that is to be ready and prepared for the age to come. You are currently sitting here preparing for heaven. He says, preparing your minds for action. Get ready. Complete this training so that you can take action. So that you can become effective. Preparation happens first. Another translation worded this, gird up the loins of your mind. Always used to read that. I didn't know my mind had loins. And I didn't know what loins were. So I always kind of skipped over it. (laughs) So gird up the, ah, that thing of my mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. So what are loins? He's actually giving us a metaphor, a metaphor showing us what to do with our minds. They used to wear longer robes back in the day. It almost looked like a dress, like even people in Arab nations today would wear, like long robes. And to gird up the loins, what they used to do in order to take action or to run, what they would have to do was they they would bend down and put their hands through the back or through their knees, pick up the back part of the robe, pull it up to the front here, so now they're holding the back part of the robe, but they picked it up, they pulled it through, and they tuck it in. Now their dress has turned into shorts, and they can now run, okay? That is what it means to gird up your loins. And here Peter says, the apostle Peter says, now what you have to do is prepare your mind. By girding up the loins of your mind, what is he telling us? He says in the same way, Pull up and tuck away all those loose ends of your mind. Tuck away and gird up all those useless thoughts that you engage with all day long. Put them away. Those thoughts that clutter up your mind. Pull up and tuck away all those long skirts hanging off your mind that functions as an obstacle, as a hindrance, as an obstruction. So, my plainest way of saying this is put away useless thoughts that are taking up mental real estate. Put away all of those useless thoughts that clutter your mind. Put away thoughts that are clouding your thinking. Put away thoughts that are causing you to be double-minded, distracted. Put away thoughts that are causing you to be distracted from God's purposes. Because until you do that, you will not be ready for action. You're simply not ready. You're not prepared. So in context, it reads, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Okay, so now he's telling us the second thing to do with our minds. We have to keep our minds sober. Now, I used to read that. And I used, to see, say, I used to say, see, you shouldn't be drinking alcohol. Your mind needs to be sober. But according to my study Bible that I love, this means you should get yourself a study Bible and get yourself a good one, okay? One, one you can write in. Um, according to my study Bible, this means thoughts that are steadfast are sober thoughts. Why? Because it compares a drunk man with a sober man. The drunk man is not steadfast. He has to grab onto stuff in order to stay up, right? The sober man, he is steadfast. He doesn't fall over. In the same way, your thoughts need to be steadfast. That's what it means to have sober thoughts. Then it says your thoughts need to be self-controlled. Again, comparing the drunk with the sober. The one person has no control over himself. The other one is completely sober and self-controlled. Then it compares clear thinking with clouded thinking. The one lacks judgment or judgment impaired. The other one has got complete clear thinking. Then it says moral decisiveness. This is a sober mind. The person whose mind is very decisive in regards to morality because... He's been cemented in God's standards. That's the sober mind, moral decisiveness. I want to quote from my study Bible. It says The sober Christian is in charge of his priorities and not intoxicated with the various temptations of the world. He has priorities and he's in charge of his priorities, and he's not influenced by the world's priorities. The Christian whose thoughts are intoxicated is therefore the Christian who, for instance, would prioritize sports over God. His priority is completely messed up. He would prioritize, for instance, worldly schooling in their children's lives over scriptural education. Biblically educated. That's not important. Schooling is important. Now of course, you know that we believe both are important, but the one is more important than the other because the one is eternal, the other one is just temporal. They will have their priorities all messed up, for instance, making money instead of just serving instead of serving God. the making money would be more important, Mammon would be more important than God, and so the list can, can continue. so the sober mind, the sober mind has their priorities in check and they control their priorities as to the one who's not sober. So the conclusion here is that we have two images on what we ought to do with our minds. We ought to number one, prepare our minds by girding up the loins of our minds, tuck away all those useless thoughts, stop engaging with them. Number two, have a sober mind, a sober mind that is steadfast, morally decisive, a sober mind that has self-control and controls and disciplined over the priorities. That's the sober mind. So here are those two pictures that he gives us. But my question here is, for what reason? Why? Man, we're just going through all of this. We're girding up the loins of our minds and we're becoming all disciplined in our thoughts and we become structured in our thoughts and we hold fast to our priorities and why? well the next line says "Hopefully, fully prepare your minds for action have a sober mind hope now he commands an emotion you may have come here this morning needing hope and here, Peter, the apostle, counsels you to hope fully. He's commanding you to have an emotion. And you go, But I don't have hope. And the apostle says, Hopefully. Yeah, but I don't have hope. He says, No, hopefully. But I don't have hope. Oh, okay. Well, let's back up. <laughs> and why don't you hope fully? Because it has to do with not girding up your mind and being mentally intoxicated, thoughtfully intoxicated. So how do I command or how do I obey that command? You see, this is the challenge we have as Christians. We are commanded to turn certain emotions on and other emotions off. Don't hate love. Do not be covetous, but be generous in your heart. Don't be so self-absorbed and so thin-skinned. No, rather, love suffers long. It is patient. It doesn't keep records of wrong. That's, how you, that's what you ought to feel, not that. We are commanded to turn those emotions off and turn other emotions on. Love your wife, really? I mean, we've been married for two years. How am I going to stay in love with her? You know that? <laughs> This is the challenge we have, not me. This is Valentine's Day. (laughs) But in this portion that we're reading, we're drawing from the Apostle Peter's counsel on how to command that in motion. If we look deeper, we'll see what he's telling us. Prepare your mind and remain sober. And in this we conclude that the mind is given for the sake of the heart. I mean think of it. The mind is given for the sake of the heart. Your mind serves your heart. That's what Peter is saying. He couldn't have commanded you hope if he didn't tell you and give you the tools on how to get to the place where you could make your heart hope. But he did. Your mind serves your emotions when we prepare our minds and we maintain sober minds we can hope fully you see it is very important to know that christianity is not a dead dry religion of doctrines christianity is not just us all sitting around and mentally ascending to all of these doctrinal standards and ideas that's not christianity christianity is about the heart and how the heart responds in love to the Father who first loved you. And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us first. That is, what, that is what happens to the heart. Because God loves us, our hearts can respond. And this is Christianity. I'll give you an example. For, like Satan. Satan has all the right thoughts about God, doesn't he? Satan has great orthodox, um, great orthodox doctrine. He, he understands. That God sent Jesus, Jesus left heaven, he left his glory, he came to earth, he died upon a cross, willingly he gave himself, then he rose again, Satan knows all of this, and that Jesus actually paid the price for man's sins, Satan understands the doctrine of substitutionary atonement, he understands all of that, Satan knows so many truths about God, but Satan feels only hate towards the God He knows. You see, Christianity is a heart that loves the God He knows. Christian life is about the heart, having an actual love for the Lord, a longing for the presence of the Lord, an actual desire for the things of God. Hearts surrendered to His will. That is what Jesus said to the church in in Revelation. He says, I have this against you. I mean, you're saying all the right things. You're doing all the right things. You've lost your first love. Christianity is a responsive heart to a loving God. You see, that's what the heart's for, to surrender to God, to praise Him. My question is, what's the brain for? We get the purpose of the heart, but what's the purpose of the brain? You see, the mind is there to serve the heart so that the heart can come in line with the emotions God commands the heart to have. We know things about God so that our hearts can properly respond to God. Look, God came to you and I, and He gave us this. He gave us the canon of scriptures. Why? So that we can know more about who He is. But he's given us things to know about him so that our hearts can properly respond to him. Now, as a pastor, for many years, I've realized this one thing. That by far the most people who come for counsel, come for counsel over something they feel. The pressure the emotion of it all. I no longer love my spouse. I feel numb toward God. I feel angry and vengeful. I feel depressed. I feel despondent. I feel disillusioned. I feel anxious. I am fearful. I feel rejected. I feel... And for most part, what people do is they go like, can you pray for me? But to be honest with you, <laughs> that's not the answer to that problem. That's not the solution. That's not the solve for that wound. The real biblical counsel in that case would be what Peter is giving us. And to put it in layman's terms, I would have to... As a faithful counselor, I would have to ask you what your strategy, strategy is. What is your plan of action to combat this problem you're dealing with? What's your strategy? How do you plan on warring against this numbness? How do you plan on warring against this fear? How do you plan on warring against this anxiety? How do you plan on warring against hopelessness that exists in your heart? How do you plan on warring against a loss of love toward your spouse? The Apostle Peter's counsel to anybody struggling with this is this. Prepare your minds for action by girding up the loins of your mind and then become sober-minded and then command yourself to have hope. Hopefully. Because it is possible if you do the first two. The third is possible. You see, the biblical idea of having a heart that hopes fully is simply relentless warfare. That's what A person with great hope is a person that has gone to war. To be a person who hopes fully, we will have to become a person who knows how to gird up the loins of our minds and then cultivate the sobriety that's necessary for hope to exist. Now the Bible continues. Peter continues. He says in verse 14, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Wow. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, look at how brilliantly Peter writes this. He is showing us how passions can be changed. If you have passions that you know you ought not to have, today I want to let you know that there is hope. It is possible for you to not be conformed to your previous passions, but to be transformed to godly passions. Your passions can change. And here's the thing. Everybody does what they will. Everybody wills what they desire. They desire something, they feel something, they will it, they go and do it. Everybody's like that. That's why when God gives you a new heart, suddenly you chase after Him. You are simply doing because you will to do it, and you will to do it because you have a brand new desire, a brand new heart. God doesn't force anybody, contrary to, public, to, to, to you know, people's opinions, God doesn't force anybody against their will. No. God gives them a heart that desires him now they exercise their will toward him and that's why they chase after him somebody says oh so god is going to say i elect these against their will i'm going to force them into heaven and those that just desperately want to go to heaven he's going to throw them in hell god doesn't do that that's insane to think that about god no everybody does what Everybody wills what they desire, and when they will it, they accomplish it. And here, what, what Peter is saying is do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So, he's saying there are three things there's conformity to passions, there are passions, and then there is, they are linked to or the source of these passions is ignorance. Ignorance produces these evil passions that people are conformed to. They live them out. And here he's saying is, do not be conformed to those evil passions that is rooted in your ignorance. Because you're stupid. You have these passions that you're living out. And he says, don't be conformed to those passions rooted in stupidity. What is he saying? He's saying to change this equation, we need to read it this way. Evil passions will be conformed to godly passions. In other words, passions can change. Evil passions will be conformed to godly passions when ignorance is changed to knowledge. (laughs) When a person is ignorant of God and of man, and their relationship. And he doesn't have, he's not informed about who God is. He's not informed about who man is. He's not informed about how man can be right with God. He's not informed about the attributes of God. He's not informed about the qualities of life. He's not informed about eternity. He's not informed about God's satiety and knowing God comes from eternal eternity past to eternity future and that god has called him and god is saving him he's not informed in those things he's ignorant and in his ignorance of god's holiness he has passions and his passions drives him into an unholy life but the moment you pick this up and you inform your mind in other words instead of remaining ignorant you become educated Instead of remaining ignorant, you become educated. It forms your passions. When you are informed, it conforms your passions. (laughs) You see, the, the mind informs the heart. The mind serves the heart. The mind assists the heart to obey an emotional command. The informed and educated mind causes your emotions to transform from evil passions to godly passions. You know, when our education system was started by people like the Puritans and those who first landed, they had one goal in mind. Kids need to be educated so that they can know the will of God. Did you know that? Educational uh, institutions were formed in order for kids to be educated in the divine it was ultimately so god can be glorified that's why they were educated they were taught to read so that they can understand the bible so god can be glorified in the life today look at how it turned today there's a huge importance place on education i'm not against being educated i'm saying this understand me there's a huge priority place on education so that somebody can have a great life and a great career and make a lot of money. Where really, originally, education is rooted in the fact that somebody can glorify God with their life. They can have brand new passions. They can have controlled minds. They can have, therefore, command uh, their hearts to feel what Scripture commands them to feel. So education is taken a very very different direction because it's no longer about knowing God being educated in God it's so that man can prosper so our conclusion here is that the informed and educated mind causes your emotions to transform why because our minds facilitate our heartfelt emotions our minds serve our hearts there's a connection our thoughts assist and instruct our hearts. Have you ever wondered why people go away on camps and come back, and for a, for a moment there, they have a complete different attitude? Uh, as a youth pastor for many years, we used to take teens on youth camps teens would come back and they would be so on fire for the Lord. They would be so on fire for the Lord. Why? Because their attention was captured by and informed with the things of God. People go on, on a camp. Married couples, they go on a camp and they look into the Word of God as to what marriage is all about. And, how God designed marriage, and what's the purpose of marriage, and the meaning of marriage, and and how does marriage work? And then, and then, there's a new freshness in the marriage. Why? Because their minds were for that weekend informed on that issue, and suddenly the heart came alive. So, if you're wondering why your heart's called towards the Lord, well, that's why. If you're wondering why your emotion, you cannot command your emotion to change, well, that's why. It's rooted in ignorance. Yes, Christianity is all about the heart. But here the Apostle Peter is telling us and giving us the the instruments, the tools on how to command our heart to feel. Let's pray. Father, today, I realize, Lord, that we are stewards over our thoughts, our mind, our thinking. And that we haven't been faithful as we ought to be. Instead of dealing with the root cause, we attempt to kill the fires in the secondary cause. We try to Feel different without thinking differently. We attempt to, or we pretend to obey an emotional command, but we do not inform our minds, which is the means through which we can command our hearts. Lord, today I pray that you help us gird up the loins of our minds, prepare our minds so that we can take action in every part of our lives. Help us, Father, live soberly so that our minds can be steadfast, our thoughts can be steadfast, that we can be morally decisive, that we have clarity of thought, Father. In this case, Father, Thank you, Lord, that You will help us, therefore, to discipline our emotions; that our emotions will be ordered; that they will be managed according to Scriptures; that we will make that we will prioritize those things You called us to prioritize; that we can love when You tell us to love, who You tell us to love; that we can mourn when we have to mourn; that we can rejoice when we have to rejoice; that we can. Stop fearing man. Instead, choose to fear God. Thank you, Father God, that you've given us the way unto that end. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Enjoy the word this morning. God bless you.